Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 16th of March 2014, entitled A Friend to Sinners, Part 4, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 31 to 50. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke for our scripture reading, Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin our reading in verse 31, and we'll be reading down through the end of the chapter in verse 50. I invite you this morning to stand with us to honor the reading of God's holy word, if you'd like, beginning in Luke chapter 7 and in verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned to you, and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners." But wisdom is justified of all her children. In other words, what was this generation like? Well, they were just complaining about something all the time. They were finding what was wrong. Didn't matter what uh, what it was, it wasn't going to please them because they were going to be looking and finding something negative about it. It goes on in verse 36, and he says, And one of the Pharisees desired, desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom be forgiven most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He said unto her, 
thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sin also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Father, we thank you so much again today. The wonderful privilege that we have of being in your house for each one that is here today. Lord, for those that are not able to be with us that we've already prayed for, we do pray once again, Lord, that you would be with them. But Lord, as we gather here, we look to you and depend entirely upon you because, Father, you know the hearts of every individual that is here this morning. And Lord, we pray first of all that, Lord, that you would speak to those hearts as only you can. Father, it is your word that we have before us. Father, thank you for preserving it for us that we have it here today. And Father, it's your spirit that lives within us upon whom we totally and completely depend this day. If there is anything, anything worthy to come out of this service today, it'll be that which you do. Father, we ask not because of what we are or who we are or what we might be, but we ask because of Jesus Christ and who we are in him. Father, we are a people in great need. Father, as we look and depend upon you today, may you work in our hearts and speak to us, Lord, in a way that only you can receive all the glory and all the honor. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Today, we look at the fourth part, this sermon that we've been looking at on being a friend to sinners. Now, I must say this in the beginning, just for the sake of Anyone that missed part three last Sunday morning, or anyone that may be listening through the website, that last Sunday we had a technical difficulty, and so only the first half of that is on there, and the recording quit, so you'll just miss that part, and there's nothing I can do about it, unless you'd like me to go back and preach last week's before I preach this week's, then we're going to be here for a while, amen? Uh, but as we've looked at this passage... We began by reading this passage that we have before us, and then we began because we said that the basis of what we're looking at, we must keep in mind exactly what it is that we're talking about here, and printed on the back of your bulletin were two short passages. The first one found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40, and a question was asked of Jesus in this passage, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus, of all that God has said to us, of all the commandments that he's ever given to us, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. In other words, with everything within you, your heart, your soul, your mind, the first, the greatest commandment of all is that you love God above everything else with all of your being. But then he goes on, he says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments 
hang all the law and the prophets. Wow. Lord, what is the greatest commandment that you've ever given to us? Well, the first of all, the greatest of all is that you love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the second is like unto it, and that is that you love your neighbor as yourself and all of God's law hangs upon these two things. And then in John chapter 13, in verses 34 and 35, Jesus spoke these words. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Wow. Our first and greatest commandment is that we love the Lord God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our entire being. But then this loving our neighbor as ourselves Jesus goes a bit further here. He says, you love one another as I have loved you. You love one another in the same way that Jesus Christ loved you. <laughs> and notice what he says. You see, today, <clears throat> many people try to impress God and to press, impress other people by what they are and how good they live and all the things they do do and they don't do. And there's lots of things about the Christian life and they want to impress people maybe with, with their theological minds and all of these things. But what does he say? He says, by this. By what? By loving one another in the same way that Jesus loved you. He said, by this, all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. You can know all the theology in the world. You can memorize this book from verse to verse and know it in your heads. But what we're grasping here is the Bible. Our New Testament Christianity, which is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said the greatest, the greatest commandment, the thing above all else is that we love God with everything about us, with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, not just part of it. And next, that we love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us. A friend to sinners. You see, what we find in our scripture, we began first of all, and we, we looked in the first sermon, and we've looked at a lot of things, and I can't review them all this morning, but we looked at some principles of scripture. <clears throat> if we find in this passage, first of all, we see Jesus being condemned <coughs> for being a friend of sinners. We find that Jesus is the one that told us that, you know, he's not diminishing in any way the importance of God's commandments. He's just putting above everything is our love for him and for each other. Without that love, we can do all the other things, but it's useless. He says the same thing about our gifts, doesn't he? If we are to love like this, then we find other principles of Scripture that we looked at first. First of all, we saw separation from unbelievers. Secondly, we saw sanctification from the world. And third, we saw some sacrifices of friendship. These are all principles that we find in the Word of God. Being separated from unbelievers. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, the Bible says. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. 
being sanctified from the world. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And, of course, the sacrifices. Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Those are all principles of Scripture. But then we look secondly at the practices of the Savior, and we look back and we went through this, this passage that we just read again this morning, and we saw how that, okay, I mean, on the one hand, God's telling us that, that love, love for him and love for others, that everything else that we do hinges on that. He's also telling us that somehow we've got to be separate from the world. We've got to be sanctified. We've got to make sacrifices for our friendship. We find the practice of the Savior that, as we looked here, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Why? <laughs> if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is because she is a sinner. He wouldn't have anything to do with her. We find that we not only looked at the practice of the Savior, but then we looked at something else which we said was vital if we're to understand this truth, and that's the purpose for the sinner. What is God's purpose? For every sinner in the world, everyone that's ever been and everyone that is and everyone that ever will be, Jesus is the one that said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is the one that said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We looked at all those passages in the Scripture of the importance, not taken away from the value of that which is, but as we looked at the parable of the lost sheep and the lost silver and the lost son, we saw that the value of what he was putting was, was it didn't matter. The value of all that was there, it was that which was lost that needed to be brought back. It didn't diminish the value of what was already there, but he showed us the value, starting with a sheep, then with a lost piece of silver, and then with the sun. In all of these cases, of course, we remind ourselves, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What we see is the value of one soul of every sinner to Jesus Christ. The purpose for the sinner is to be saved. The purpose in Jesus coming to this world was to seek and to save sinners. We want to make all kinds of things out of this, but folks, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what was planned before the foundation of the world. That's why Jesus came. With all these things and everything that we looked at there, and I'm sorry we don't have time to enlighten upon that anymore. But I want to give you one final thought this morning, and that is the proposition for the saint. In other words, what do we do with this? How do we put all this together in a practical way? If Jesus has told us that, number one, when we begin to love anything in this world or anybody in this world more than God, we've got a problem. He is above all else. But then he goes right on, not contradictory. God's got to be above all, but next, we've got to love each other 
in the same way that Jesus Christ did. And Jesus' purpose was to save. Jesus' purpose was to lay down his life for you and I. So we find that how can we put all this? Jesus said all that, but then... You know, the Bible tells us that we've got to be separate. We've got to be sanctified. We've got to do all these things. How can we do both? How can we be a friend to sinners and at the same time be able to follow what God says? Well, let me read you a passage, first of all, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Titus chapter 2, beginning verse 11, says this, For the grace of God, that bring us salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's all by God's grace. Nobody deserves to be saved. And the only pathway to that wonderful grace is that thing called faith. The same thing that he said to that sinner woman, your faith is what saved you. Your faith is what's caused your sins to be forgiven. Your faith is what made you whole. Jesus said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, doing what? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What? This is the same grace that saves the sinner. The grace that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The same grace that saved us is the same grace that tells us there. <laughs> There ought to be a difference in our lives. There ought to be something different about the Christian. We need to deny anything that is ungodly and all these worldly lusts, and we need to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Notice what he says next. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in this world right now. The same grace that saved our wretched souls it ought to make us live godly lives, lives that are different from this world. And we ought to be looking continuously daily for that glorious appearing of Jesus Christ as he comes back for us. That Jesus, he says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people Zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, he says. Let no man despise thee. Why can we say those things with all authority? Because God's the one that said them. It's his authority, not mine, not yours. But in his word, we can speak it with all authority because it comes directly for him. So the Bible is teaching us something here. And that our lives, there ought to be something different about it. Notice that that same Jesus is the one that said to us 
In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and we could read this in any of the Gospels, but his parting words, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You see, Jesus has told us on the one hand that man, our lives ought to be different from this world, but we are to go. Why? We've looked at this many, many times. That was why Jesus came. Now the work of Christ is to be carried out through you and I, and we can make all the reasons, we can come up with all the excuses that we want to. But our purpose in being here is that the lost might be saved. found, first of all, that we're trying to reconcile it with separation from unbelievers. Remember what the Bible said there? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, somebody that doesn't believe? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and, and they shall be my people. How can we be the temple of God with God himself residing within us and yet have anything to do with the idols of this world? Wherefore, he said, if that's the case, as a result of this, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. May I say that it is an absolute principle. It is never, never, not under any circumstances, no matter what you convince yourself of, it is never right to yoke or to bond yourself together with an unbeliever. You see, it's used here in the sense of two different types of animals being yoked together to accomplish a common thing. It's not uncommon to maybe yoke two mules together or two horses together, two oxen together, to be able to, to accomplish that same goal of, of plowing that field. But try putting a, an oxen and a mule together. <laughs> they will not pull the same. There is absolutely no way. He said, don't be, there's no way that you can be yoked or bonded together with a sinner. He says, it's not going to work. And may I say, he does not stipulate any specific area of your life because he's speaking of every area of your life. If God has you all, if you love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, all your being, see, it might be relationships. It might be relationships that begin as friendships. It might be relationships that go way beyond that into intimacy. It might be marriages. 
to be unequally yoked together. You can't become one if you're totally different. It might be in business. You see, it doesn't mean that every lost person out there is a bad person, but there's no way. If you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, if you love others as Christ loves them, your purpose, your goals in life are not going to be the same as that of a lost person. doesn't mean that they might not accomplish some good businesses and have some good business principles. Sadly, I'd have to say that I've met some unbelievers in business that seem to have higher morals and higher standards than some quote-unquote Christians in business. But the truth is this. Whatever it is in your life, whatever area of your life, it is God that is saying to you, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It won't work. I don't care how you rationalize it. It won't work. We're to be separate, not bound. We aren't playing in the same game. We talked about our, our goals. We talked about the, the theme of our conference. Are you a team player? Or are you playing in the same game? Are you even going for the same goals? We find that an unbeliever's goals are not going to be the same as a believer's. We're told to come out from among them and be separate. Touching not. Touching not. Sometimes we, we think that we can handle these things and play with these things and, and somehow be able to, to only go so far and then, and then be able to resist and push back. Touching, touching not the unclean thing. Folks, I don't care how careful you are. You can't go through the mud without some of it sticking to you. You won't do it. I don't care how careful that you try to be. It's never right to put oneself as a Christian in a situation with sinners where we're touching the unclean thing. What is the unclean thing? Sin. S-I-N. It is never right to touch that sin, just as Jesus did. You see, we are able to go to unbelievers, to those sinners, and be a friend to them without any kinds of bonds, being apart from their sin. They're playing on a different team. They're playing in an entirely different game with different goals. Your prize in Christ Jesus can never be won there. It's impossible. You're not even on the right field. You should never be in a situation where you are part of or identified in any way with their sin in order to be a friend to them. You might be criticized even for being a friend to sinners. That's okay. Jesus was. But he never, ever, ever let it be said that he was a friend of their sin. Of the sinner, yes, but not of the unclean thing. Not of their sin in any way. 
There must be a separation between us and their sin. We sometimes try to tell ourselves that we've got to go out there and we've got to be with them. We've got to do the same things. That's not what being a friend to sinners are all about. You can love them just like Jesus loved them. That doesn't mean to touch their sin just as Jesus never touched sin. Separation from them. And that's tied right in with that next thing we looked at, sanctification from the world. Remember we read from John 4, 1 to 4. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you. Where's all this fighting coming from? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members because somebody wants something bad enough that they're willing to fight for it. He says, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So many times we go to God and we're just wanting God to satisfy these old fleshly, earthly lusts. He says, we're asking amiss. We're asking for the wrong reason. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We also read in 1 John chapter 2 when he said, Love not the world with the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, we're clearly to be sanctified, to be set apart from this world and the things of this world. Set apart from the world, but unto God. The friendship towards sinners is not friendship towards the world. It's not friendship towards sin. Now the world here is speaking of this world system. This world system that is, don't forget, under the control of Satan. The scriptures are emphatic in speaking of the lust of this world's pleasures, it will draw you. Don't be a fool. Naturally, your flesh is going to want and desire some of those pleasures of the world. Don't be drawn. The Bible tells you that they're going to be there. We find that our sin can always be traced back to the lust or pride <laughs> You know that the very first sin that we find was when Lucifer himself, that pride built up in him that, man, he thought he could be as big and as good as God himself. We find that there in the Garden of Eden, that sin of disobedience, because they were told that they could be as wise as God, that they could know all these things, and God was trying to, to keep them from knowing those things. We need to recognize Jesus went to the sinners as a friend. But never one time in Scripture did he ever condone 
either one sent. Well, that's okay. That's not too bad. That doesn't hurt anybody. As a matter of fact, we see just the opposite. You see, even when he was a guest in their home, he spoke clearly and plainly concerning their sin. He never pulled any punches. He wasn't unkind. He wasn't unloving. Many times in the flesh we'd think that, well, that's offensive and impolite to speak of such a thing while I'm a, a guest in someone else's house. May I say, if you're going to obey the Scriptures, if you're going to go to the sinner's home, if you're going to go to the sinner as a friend, you must be willing to confront their sin. Otherwise, simple, do not go. If you can't go there, and if you can't keep yourself clean, and you can't keep yourself separate and apart from the sin that they're involved in, then you ought not to be there. Jesus always, Yes, many thought he shouldn't go into their homes. He did go into the home. He went looking for them. We saw when we looked into those passages, he went out there and, 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 and called this, this guy called Levi, this, this tax collector. I mean, he was, man, he was, oh, he was the low of the low. Jesus said, come with me. He went out there and he got old Zacchaeus. You know what they said? They said he was the chief of the publicans. He was the worst crook of the crooks. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. You see, we look time and time and time and time again in Scripture. Jesus, he went to their homes, but he never, ever, ever avoided confronting their sin. Folks, you ought not to be there. If you're going to go and in the process of being there, you're going to have to condone sin. You're going to have to be a part of it. You're going to have to touch it in any way. You see, it's worth remembering, too, that Jesus went to the sinners where they were. He went to them in the streets. He went to them in their homes. He went to them in their places of work. But I promise you this. You never find him going to them in their places of the world. You can call them, you can make a whole list and you can make your own. I'm not going to bother. You don't find Jesus at the bar. You don't find Jesus at the disco. You don't find Jesus at the nightclub. You don't find him in places of sin that are there to fulfill the lust of this flesh. You find him with the sinner. You find him with the sinner, whether he's at work or whether he's in the street or whether he's in his home but not in the place of sin. Never. Never. We find that Jesus Christ, he went to the sinners because he loved the sinners. That's who he came for. Folks, you better recognize your mind is a battlefield. I promise you this. I promise you, yeah. if you haven't faced them, then take it from your pastor. I faced them. I've been tempted. I've, I've, I've had, you know, the devil come and try to tell me it's okay to do that. and It's okay to go there. 
I can tell you this, that if you've never, ever, ever slipped and fell back on the Lord at some point in your life, take it from your pastor. I never, ever planned to. I never, you know, suddenly, what, what, how did I get here? How did I do that? How could I possibly do that when I really do love the Lord so much? Folks, the devil is a sly rascal, and he's out to destroy you. We want to be satisfied with these temporal things that satisfy our flesh. Let me tell you something. God doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you to enjoy yourself far beyond anything that this world can ever do for you. Now, the devil will try to tell you that you can't do that, that you can't have that, that joy, that you can't have a, a good life without messing with these things, without touching the sin, because that's what your flesh wants. And I've got news for you. We sang in a couple of those songs this morning about boy, that day when we're looking for him to return. Until that day when you will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Until that day, you will struggle with those things. You will have battles in your life. And you know what? You can blame it on all kinds of things and you can come up with all kinds of excuses. But in the end, it's your choice. God gave you the ability to make a choice. You choose who you're going to love, who you're not going to love. You see, you can. You can love this world. You can love the sinner. You can be a friend to those sinners while you're separate, while you're sanctified from this world. And we said in John chapter 15 that, yeah, there's some sacrifices sometimes. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. What does he say? What is that? That my joy might remain in you. <laughs> the devil's going to try to tell you that you're going to be more joyful out there, that you're going to have a better time out there, that you're going to have more fun out there. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He wants you to be so full of joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. We said a number of things there. You see, I've heard it said that this verse proves that, oh, it's what you do. That it's only those that do his commandments that are really his friends. Well, I don't see in proper context how that is exactly what's being said. May I propose to you that Friendship is a two-way street. Love is a two-way street. Who could possibly deny that this verse is clearly speaking of Jesus Christ and that his great love for the sinner was evidenced by his being willing to lay down his life for his friends. You were still lost. You were a sinner. And yet he loved you so much that he was willing to lay down his life. Now, unless you're going to try to explain that away with 
some kind of hyper-fatalistic view that I don't see unless you violate other verses, unless you deny these things that we've looked at in these passages, the only conclusion is that Jesus proved his love when he laid down his life for his friends, for the sinners. While they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. He says that you prove your love by your obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. Can we grasp this? Jesus was willing to be nailed to that cross. That showed how much he loved you. He was nailed to that cross. He gave up his life for you. He's not asking you to be nailed to the cross. He's not even asking you to die physically. What he's asking you to do is to die to yourself and to live for him. He's saying, give your life to him, not for him. Surrender yourself to him. Let him really have your life. Not little bits when it's comfortable and when it's convenient. Let him have your life 100%. If you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, then give yourself to him. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said in Romans 5, 6 to 8, for when we were yet without strength, when we had no ability ourselves, he says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is not only a friend to sinners, he is the greatest friend any sinner had. So much so that he was willing to die for them in that sin. To take that sin upon himself by laying down his own life. Our friendship for him should be in giving him our life by obeying what he's asked of us. You see, until we're saved, we're not going to do that. Not while we're still his enemy, but as he's taught us. He loves his enemies and is a friend even to them. Our failing to do what we should do does not diminish his love towards us. It doesn't diminish his grace, which we read and saw was sufficient for all. Luke 14, 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You see, so many times we, we figure out these people that it's pretty easy to compel somebody to come into this place that's already a believer. It's pretty easy to compel somebody to come in and to fill God's house. If it's somebody that you look at and, oh, 
they would really make a good Christian. They're so nice. They're so easy to get along with. I can, I can talk to them without, without confrontation. What about the biggest crook out there? What about the lowest, dirtiest, smelliest street person that you can find on the street? What about the prostitute walking the streets out there? What about the drunkard? Many of you will know that for many years, we supported a ministry called Caring for Life. I can remember when Peter Parkinson told the story. You know, it sounded like a good idea when their church was going to reach out onto the streets of Leeds and they were going to try to, to help these people that had no homes, they had nothing, and they were, they were going to try in a practical way to show the love of Christ to them. They didn't say, you've got to do this in order for us to help you. They showed their love. And then they shared Christ with them. You know what? It all sounded good. Till Brother Andrew, you were sitting there next Sunday and that old guy came up to you and man, his clothes was tattered and he sat down right next to you and whoo! They could smell him over there, let alone right here. The body odor and the alcohol probably. It was okay. Until those people came in and started sitting down beside them and they whoo! Whoo! What have we gotten into? I've given you some illustrations in the bygone sermons. I've shared with you about churches. You know, they could have found it easy to keep their places nice, to keep these kids out that were doing all the swearing and pulling knives and all kinds of wild and wonderful things that made life very interesting. But you see, they chose to be a friend to sinners. You know that that church in Leeds, they lost a lot of their people. <laughs> because this wasn't the place they wanted to be in. They didn't feel comfortable. It was outside of their comfort zone. Folks, we need to get outside of our comfort zone. And I want to say to you, we've got to grasp somehow. If we're really going to even begin to put into effect the things that we got so excited about during that conference being a team player and going for the prize and all those things that are so important that the game we need to play in, as I said, is the game of life. Life or death. Jesus came to save the sinner. Jesus came as a friend to the sinner. Are you willing to love the sinner but yet to confront his sin are you willing to love that sinner without touching the unclean thing? That's what the Bible says. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? Absolutely. You can't read your Bible and doubt that. Can a Christian be a friend of sinners and still be separated as a Christian ought to? Still be sanctified from this world? I believe yes. Part of the problem today is that too many particularly in a lot of the new age stuff and the emerging church and some of the things that we mentioned, they're, they're seeking to befriend sinners without any real goal of leading them to Christ. Their goals aren't the same. They're, 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 they're in a different game altogether. Matter of fact, they would criticize us for declaring the gospel to these people. 
They would criticize us for confronting the sin. They would criticize us not being willing to compromise our standards when we go onto the sinner's turf. You know, they make statements like, people like Jesus, they just don't like the church. That's a problem when the church is the body of Christ. <laughs> Folks, we're as imperfect people as we could possibly be. Every one of us, we're imperfect. We're going to be an imperfect church. But we're united in Jesus Christ. You see, their goal is to be enough like the sinner that the sinner feels comfortable with them. They want to be a church without a church. <laughs> without character, without Christ. I pray that there would be cause for that religious crowd, whatever their intentions. I pray that there would be a cause for them to criticize you and I in this church for being a friend to sinners like Jesus was. We must do everything in our power to go to the sinner with genuine love, genuine friendship, not being concerned about others and the consequences of being seen with those people, but never be guilty of touching their sin. Never be guilty of taking part in their sin. Never be guilty of trivializing their sin and making it less of a problem. We're not ashamed of the gospel. If you're here today and you're without Jesus Christ, all the religion in the world will do you no good. It's only Christ. You know, the very first thing that you got to do is get rid of the pride Humble yourself. Admit that you're a sinner. Recognize that as a sinner, unlovable sinner, that Jesus Christ loved you enough that he came and he died upon that cross and he shed his blood as an atonement for your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They put him in that grave. The devil, devil thought he had won. But guess what? The third day they found an empty tomb. Because he conquered the devil and he conquered death. Today he's at the right hand of God. There. As your intercessor. There. If you'll quit trying to pretend. If you'll swallow your pride and admit your need. He'll be waiting with outstretched arms. He wants you. He wants you to come to him. Just as you are. We're going to sing in closing three verses of that great hymn, Just As I Am. You see, you might be telling yourself right now, well, I don't really need this in my life right now. Let me tell you something. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been born again, if you've never humbled yourself before God, I don't care what else you've done. I don't care what churches you've been to. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care what you've done. If you've not humbled yourself before God, and sought forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did for you, 
then there's nothing in this world that's more important than that today in your life. And Christian, aren't you glad that he loved you so much? He gave himself for you. How is the world going to know that you're his disciple, that you're his follower? By your love. By your love. How much you love him and how much you love others. Today, if there's a need in your life, Christian, why not give it to the Lord? Why not give it to God? Why, you know, you don't need to walk out those doors and just tell yourself that you're going to do it later. It's the devil that wants you to put it off. It's the devil that doesn't want you to do anything about it right now. Don't you understand? He wants to destroy you. The Lord wants to give you life today. Life more abundantly. He wants you to be full of his joy. We can make ourselves believe all the things in the world, but Jesus is the one that said... All the rest of what God said, it all hinges on these two things. Your love for him and your love for others. Love doesn't condone sin, but love died for sin. Today, as we stand, we're going to sing three verses. Today, if God's speaking to your heart, oh, just give the devil a black eye. Just get out of your seat and come down and let someone pray with you. We don't have anything magical, but we love you. And prayer changes things. Give it to God today. If you're here and you don't have Christ, you don't worry about what anybody else is going to think or say. You be willing to humble yourself as a sinner today. Seek that forgiveness that only he can give you.